All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, this is part one of the two-part QLS classic with the man we all know and love, Kwame. One of the most bugged out illest stories in classic hip-hop. Every story Kwame tells, I mean, he goes through it all, man. It has to be heard to be believed. Without further ado, this is part one of Kwame's interview on QLS from October 3rd, 2018. Enjoy. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. Yeah. Like Joe Tex, I gotcha. Yeah. My only question. Yeah. Where's Tasha? Roll call. <laughs> Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. I'm a sweet thing. Yeah. Like Hawaiian punch. Yeah. Kool Aid or Tang. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema. Paid bill, yeah, and we've gone too far, yeah. When Questlove eats dinner, yeah, at an oatmeal bar. <laughs> roll call, Suprema, 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 Kwame. Yeah. Thank God for him. Yeah. Polka dots all day. Roll call. Suprema. 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 Suprema.
name's Kwame. Yeah. Y'all see me wild. Yeah. Quest put me on the spot with this freestyle. Roll call. Let's go. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Uh, okay, so Bill just out at me. Yeah, I, I was eating oatmeal for. <laughs> that wasn't even, that you're wasn't making healthy choices, man. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's oh, almond milk now. I saw you eating coconut. coconut. I saw you eating oatmeal, and I ordered a chicken, a grilled chicken salad. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait a minute. We're healthy you here. Can eat a salad supreme. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can eat now. Like you know what I mean? Okay. I can eat like regular. Weeks ago, he just yeah. puts clothes. That was weeks ago, but you told me you're. Tooth still hurting? No, 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 not now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 weeks ago on the, on the earlier tape, <laughs> when I was absent, it was fucked up. <laughs> but my Obamacare kicked in. I'm good. <laughs> we were having the all important cream of wheat versus steel cut oatmeal question, wondering what exactly does steel cut refer to. I just don't like the marketing steel cut. Like, there's nothing tasty or appappetizing about. It's We're not steel good. Cut. They try to market steel cut like free range. You know what I'm saying? It's so true. Like you're going to pay an extra <laughs> dollar and 50 cents for some. Not uh, for nothing. There's a frozen version of steel cut oatmeal you can get at Trader Joe's. It's really good. You just microwave for two minutes. Where did you say it was at? It was at Trader Joe's. There you go. You can't get it at AMP. No. You can't get it at Path well, you know Marcos. Wait, AMP uh-huh. still exists? Yeah, some oh, places. Yeah. Really? Yeah, some sure. places. I've seen wow. it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man. They call Aldeas in the East Coast, the yeah. A&P. Aldeas. 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 Oh, the Aldea. See, Aldeas yeah. is the white. Aldeas is the place. A-L-D-I. I'm sorry. Well, C-Town, you got Associated. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. Questlove oh. Supreme is the only place where we could talk about supermarkets and supermarkets before we even introduce our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Questlove Supreme. Questlove, say what's up, Team Supreme. What's up? What's up? Okay, Questlove. Uh, t- today, uh, we have a favorite, a personal favorite of mine. And mine. I, and I, mine please too. don't forget and Bill, mine. but Bill all is bigger than everybody. Yeah, you know, and on the low for all of the... I hate you like... <laughs> <laughs> all, no, but for, for all the props that I give to Daylight transforming my life, if you really inspect a lot of, of photos of me... Between eighty nine and ninety one, <laughs> I will say that our guest had a big hand in, in my, uh, <laughs> life and fashion choices. Yeah, I proudly rock that. Actually, yeah, Tariq and I at one point the 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 uh, when we were Black to the Future, um, wow. <laughs> we, we went to Hats in the Belfry to buy those hats with the uh, oh, spinning. with the, spinning with the propeller on it because Kwame rocked it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the legendary yo 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 Kwame. Yes, of course, the man we all know and love. Thank you, producers. <laughs> yes, the man we all know and love. What's up, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Man, thank you for doing this. You know, this 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 is uh, this is an honor for all of us. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, where'd you grow Start up? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in. No. Is that my? How you doing? Yeah, <laughs> where'd you grow up? Let's go back to where, the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I, I, I don't know where you're from. I am from East Elmhurst slash Corona Queens, New York. So you started out as a New York. Yes. Okay. Okay. You were born. Born in Queens. My whole family is in Queens. I, when I got my deal, I was 
in Queens and in high school. I seen you in Philly a lot because it was a lot of girls in in Philly, (laughs) (laughs) and they liked me, so I I would be there a lot. No, seriously. At one point, I was just like, maybe he's from Yaden or no. You know what it is? Um, my manager Dave, who's here, he's from Yaden, and Tap Money, who's also. From Yaden, he want to say he's from West Philly, but yeah, he's yeah. lived in Yaden more more than West Philly. But anyway, um, Tap Tap Money, yeah, was your Tap DJ. Money, yeah, that's yeah. what I said. I forgot, right? You saw the video, and I was like, "Is that Tap?" Yeah. yeah so Tat was. I met Tat. I met Tat, Steady B, and Cool C before I came out. Mm-hmm. I was tagging along with Kid and Play and Herbie Lovebug, and we they had a show in Richmond, Virginia, with Steady, and um, the show got snowed out, so we were stuck. And this, we couldn't even get to the hotel. We were stuck in the venue overnight. And we wow. all just got cool. And Tat was real cool. And I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I got this. And I pulled out the poster board of the mock-up of my first album cover. Yeah, you know, I'm about to be coming out. Hopefully I can get to do shows with you guys and everything. And Steady and Cool C, they were all right. But Tat was more personable. And then we just hung out. We rapped all, just pretty much all night. And then when my original DJ, B-Flat, wasn't able to rock with us anymore I first person I called was Tat so that became my Philly Philly connection connection. Uh. and then I got went started hanging out in Philly with Tat got very cool with EST um, Chuck Nice Woody Wood and we all just was a little click they were all yep Legion of Doom they were all coming to my house they would stay weeks at my house I would stay weeks at their house my mother would be like okay when are your friends going back to Philly because we were like (laughs) 16, 17, 18 years old so that was that's y'all were our native you you guys were like our native tongues yeah 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 so when you came and co-signed Philly me that's the first time I felt like okay Philly can be cool because again I mean you're you're not saying what you really want to say about cool and steady but (laughs) (laughs) no they were just they were post drug dealer cool like you know know, no no you know what it is it's not it's nothing to say good or bad about them but they just weren't the kind of guys that I was. You know what I'm saying? No, we, no. We, you know, we're not from, we didn't have the same wavelength. So it wasn't, I would never be hang. I would never hang out with them. Right. Where Tat is cut from that same cloth. So, you know, I would definitely hang out with Tat and, and. Totally seen it. You know, so that's how, that's so pretty that much that explains why I saw you in Philly a lot. Yeah. Okay. I just thought you had property in. I should have had property in Philly. You should have. If I was smart. Damn. Now I get it. Not Philly. So in, in Queens. What was your what was your experiences of music? See, growing my, up, my neighborhood, you know, you know, everybody likes to really big up their neighborhoods, but for me, I think my neighborhood is a very special place in Queens, and anybody can look it up. So if you go, the history of East Elmhurst Corona, um, it's right next to LaGuardia Airport. So mm-hmm. literally, you can like my grandmother's house, my house, I can walk to the airport, um, and within that neighborhood, post, I mean, pre rap, you had. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Har- Harry Belafonte, um, Louis Armstrong, uh, James Brown. Um, James Brown was in St. Albans, oh. but but he was he wasn't in that. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I want to say Dinah Washington, um, and a lot of a lot of influential blacks moved to this area of Queens. But then when you get into the hip hop era, you had Kid and Play, uh, Herbie Lovebug. Eric B, Cool G Rap, um, myself, uh, Salt and Pepper, we were all within a three to five block radius. 
is so, that close hmm. to Jamaica? No, okay. no, no, it's closer to the city. So we're like 15 minutes the most into New York City. So we're we're northern Queens. Jamaica is southern Queens. So um, houses on the lawn, like is, is it a suburbia existence? It's, what is it's it? I would say the equivalent of Winfield, maybe. Okay. Okay, Winfield yeah. slash you know West Philly area, nice part of West Philly. Um, yeah, but it's not it's not Overbrook Farms. You know what I'm saying? It's not right. that, but it's 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 pretty cool. And then you have some. See, East Elmhurst is more of the homes with front yards and backyards. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in a row home, so most like the Philly homes. Uh, my grandmother would have a house with a front and a backyard. But then you have Corona, and that side. Is Northern Boulevard. You cross Northern Boulevard. Corona's a little bit more grittier than East Elmhurst. So I lived in between both neighborhoods, you know, my whole childhood, pretty much. And so from there, um, my parents got a divorce. I was 14. Um, A couple of years later, my father got remarried and moved to Inglewood, New Jersey. So now I'm in Inglewood, New Jersey, and in Inglewood, New Jersey, my best friend was Redhead Kingpin. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> and so I had all of those Queens guys next to me, and then my best friend that I first, the first kid I meet when I moved to Inglewood is Redhead, and then you have Big Bub from today, um, and Redhead, introduced. he said, yo, this lady gonna give me a deal, and you should come too. I'm like, who? We go to Sylvia Robinson's house. Oh, no. So now, oh, God. <laughs> oh, she I was, was the first. Sylvia Rohn. She, I was like, she yeah, was the a first little Sylvia bit. in his life. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Sylvia Robinson offered me a deal at 15. So, and it was so funny because at the same time, I'm saving up money. I'm, you know, I'm making demos. I'm trying to impress Herbie. And he runs around with my demo. Sylvia hears the demo. And the deals come in at the same time. But the difference between Atlantic Records, uh, Sony, Columbia, um, then Sylvia. Sylvia's was like a one-page note. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) (laughs) so you know, just to you know, just to give a quick recap, those are like the different people. I feel like Mr. Rogers. Those are the people in my neighborhood. Those are the. So we live before the rabbit hole nerd him right now. We're hanging on every word. So were you signed before Redhead, or did he sign his deal first? So Red. Redhead and a group called New Style, New later Style, known yeah. as Naughty Style. by Nature, Naughty yeah. they decided to sign. And they she, she wanted to change Sugar Hill Records to Bon Ami. And I was like, oh, I don't even know. That even sounds hip-hop, you know. Wait, she owned Bon Ami Records? Yes. I remember that label. Yeah, so she was Bon Ami, and, and New Style came out on Bon Ami. Red got out of it because he was underage, and he lied about his age. And he was 16 as well, and he got out of it. I never signed. Then we was we weren't good kids. You know, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I'm, I'm not even gonna lie to you. We weren't. We were good kids, but we didn't always do good things. So we got in trouble, all of us, like at the same time. We were running around in the street. You mean thuggery? Yes, or we got we got in trouble. That's okay. what I wanted to know. It like, was like stupid, like stupidity. It's something I would never even talk about in detail. But it was me, Red, and a couple other guys, and we did something stupid. And at that point, my father was like, um, some of the guys actually got into real trouble. Some of us didn't get in, thank God, didn't get into any major anything. But the the thing was, you're moving out of Jersey. This is the wrong environment for you. Mind you, this was a very nice neighborhood. Yeah, it, was, I was about to say. it wasn't anything grimy in the stretch. It was just 
bored kids doing stupid stuff. That's Jersey. So, yeah. So he moved. We I moved back to Queens. So now I'm in Southside Jamaica, Queens with my mother. And then in that neighborhood, you have a different type of element. The block was cool, but then you had like, you had, you know, real killer drug dealers and, you know, these type of people that were... That and and every, he felt it was safer for you to be in that in Queens than it was to be in Englewood? Well, here's the other side. He decided to move to... I have a farm in Virginia. He moved on to the farm. Um, so when he moved on to the farm in Virginia, I was there was no way I was going to move on a farm. I just got a record deal. There's no way I'm living on a farm. I'm like, well, you can, you can rap from the farm and you just come to New York when you have. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. So I had I ended up back in Queens with my mother, and like I said, that close area where my mother was was cool, but the surrounding. Like everybody that like Fifty Cent raps about and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, those were people that came to my house that I knew. Like they they were that was that actual Queens? that part of Queens. Okay. So so it was a whole nother environment living there, and um. So okay, Queens. There's such a folklore about Queens. When so you're saying that there's multiple sections of Queens like. The Tribe Called Quest Queens versus the Run DMC Queens versus so I lived the 50 in the Tribe Queens. Called, so so my part of Queens was Q Tip, um, Sweet Tea. We all lived in the same little section. Um, he, Tip was a little bit further out. T was in between me and and where where um, Q Tip was. So that section is South Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. Where Run DMC, LL Cool J, Ja Rule, there in Hollis. They're on the south side of Jamaica, but they're not the furthest south part of Jamaica. And if anybody needs to understand Queens, look at a map, look at Long Island. At the end of Long Island is Brooklyn and Queens. They're literally together. It's one thing. Mm-hmm. And But then you have northern Queens. So, for example, you have parts of Queens in northern Queens, say Flushing, Queens. If I take any of you guys to Flushing, Queens, knock you out and drop you in the street, you would think you were in Hong Kong, 100% Hong Kong. If you've ever been to Hong Kong, you would literally, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. That's yeah. Scary. The exact same thing. I see thing. it on the way to the airport sometimes. Like, yeah, but go in, in and when I was a kid, it was white, it was Italian and black. So flash forward, say 30 years, it's all one section Korean, one section Chinese, and then a small section Japanese. All the street signs are in Asian. All the stores, it's 1,000%. So that's Whoa. that's Flushing, Queens. But then you go further toward Brooklyn and you say you're in Richmond Hill. Uh, Richmond Hill is, it was, uh, when I was a kid, predominantly all Irish. Now it's all South American. So it's Peruvian and stuff like So And when I was, my neighborhood, Corona, it was all black. Now it's probably 30% black, mostly South and Central American. You know, so it's... That's where the Beat Nuts was from. Queen, yeah, Beat Nuts are from Corona as well. So Queens is such a diverse area. And then there's a part of Queens that most Queens people don't even know about called Malba. Malba is, if you know the Whitestone Bridge, it's right under the Whitestone Bridge. If I take you to Malba, you would think you were in Bel Air. Or, or um, Beverly Hills somewhere, right? One hundred percent. 
It's off the water. Um, if a neighbor sees you driving, the cops will be there in 1.4 seconds wow. if you are of a darker shade. Oh, me? Oh, oh me specifically. Yeah, okay. Everybody. Yeah. There's, there's no dark shaded people in that area. And and that's by White's, that's that's next to the Whitestone Bridge. And then you have other real diverse areas like Bayside and, and you Lefrak know, this, um, Left Rack is, Left Rack is one neighborhood from mine that goes into um, Massbeth, and Massbeth is another very diverse area. This it's it's crazy. Well, if I take you on a Queens, Queens tour, it's like because <laughs> yeah, everybody City. thinks of Queens Bridge. Yeah, right, Queens Bridge. Yeah. yeah, and you know Queens that's Bridge. That's what I thought. Is, I was like, yeah. okay, well, this is nice, and that's it. No, nah, <laughs> and then we come to my and then Manhattan, right? Yeah, Queens Bridge is. You can walk to Manhattan from from Queens Bridge. You can walk over the bridge. It'll take you five minutes in your. On Fifty Sixth Street and First Avenue. So, so yeah. What were you? So, how did hip hop reach you at a young age? Because I'm almost certain that other boroughs were like another world to you or another city. At no, least. no. Hip hop, hip hop reached me in 1979. I can remember exactly what I was doing, where I was at. I was playing with Star Wars men <laughs> on the floor with my best friend. His name is Dakar. And me and Dad Carl were playing Star Wars and Rappers Delight came on the radio. And from that point, literally from that point, begged my mother to buy the record. My, you know, I'm six years old. I see the recognition of, you know, Sugar Hill, the label. So anytime I go to a record store, anything that said Sugar Hill was bought. And that's from six years old. Anything affiliated with Sugar Hill, which was Enjoy Records, was bought, period. It was. I didn't have to hear it. I didn't know it. My favorite record to this day is Freedom, um, Furious Five, mm-hmm. um, and Eighth Wonder. The, mm-hmm. sec- the second and the third record I've ever bought still have the exact records. So, so hip hop, but I never understood that hip hop was an actual. It's weird. It's it, you know it became a culture. It became what I was doing, what all the kids were doing. We were all breaking. We were all doing graffiti. We were all. You know, everybody wanted two turntables. Every you know, everybody wanted the whole elemental aspect of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a guy on my grandmother's block, um, rest in peace. His name was Messiah, and Messiah was partners with Red Alert. So I used to beatbox as a little kid. So I would go to Messiah's house, and Messiah would put me on the phone with like uh, um, Africa Islam or people like that. Look, listen oh, to this wow. little kid beatbox. I had no I have no clue what it was, but it was just all immersing. You know what I'm saying? And 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 you know, running around the neighborhoods looking for uh, um, refrigerator boxes to to break on. Um, you know, tying our tying our jeans up with shoelaces and and putting on uh, Union Jack hats and. And getting our our you know the the what do you call those things the press on letters on our oh, sweatshirts wow. like the and <laughs> and spike spikes so you everywhere. were fashionable even way before you had a record budget to even start. Oh this, no, I were... was I was all into the gear, everything you know, getting your name belt. That was like that was one hundred percent life for us in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You know that's that's what we did. So can I? what your parents did because you mentioned your dad went to a farm and that just really threw me for a second well my father my father um you know my father recently passed not even a month ago so so my father was a very incredible person my father um he worked for 
the light company, Con Edison. But my father was like the weirdest hustler type dude ever. And we didn't understand it as kids. Just to give you a quick view of my pops, my pops used to push a 78 VW red and white van. It had no heat. (laughs) Yeah, wait, I, I can see this. And no air conditioner. So in the middle of the winter, he would line the van with quilts and and plastic and put a kerosene heater in oh the God. middle <laughs> in the middle of the van. To blow everybody. And it was right? like <laughs> and would tell us, y'all hold on to that so it don't tip over. And he would be driving around. <laughs> so and, and these are things that my father would do. But there's a reason that I didn't know at the time. So you know it's gonna be a funny story that turns into a, a tragic story. So oh, no. <laughs> so it's one of those stories. So um <laughs> sorry. So we would come home and it would be no phone service. So my father would climb up the phone the pole, pole. <laughs> do some jiggery and be like, okay, look, if you pick up the phone, don't say nothing. If you hear people talking, just hang it up. Now, if you hear two rings, that's your grandmother and then you pick up the phone. If you hear three rings, that's your aunt. I'm like, wow. Oh, wow. So, but my, all, all this while, my pops had a job. You know, yeah. it wasn't like he was on drugs or anything crazy. He had a job. My mother, I'll get into my mother in a second. So the reason why all these crazy things would happen, or like I remember one time we came home and the whole basement was ransacked, just wrecked. And we were like, so my mother thought, mind you, I used to sneak my friends in to break dance. We used to all have breakdance battles in my basement. Mm-hmm. So she thought that that's what I did. And apparently my father designed some pipe to plug into the wall so we would get free gas. Like, we were getting <laughs> oh my God. free Yo, I gas. Love you, I love you, Dad. Yo. So we were Genius. getting free gas for a whole year. He wow. made some pipe. And the gas company found out, broke into the house, and broke just ripped the whole yeah, thing yeah, out. Yeah, so I line. got in trouble because my mother thought one of my friends did this. Like, she thought that I was responsible for somebody breaking into the home. So, long story short, he was putting his, mother, his money aside because his sister was dying of lupus and he was paying for all of the medical bills but we didn't know that you know and his sister was like a you know pretty much a surrogate mother her kids were like my brother and sister so you know that was a weird thing and it kind of like that was like the strain that kind of broke my parents marriage up because it was just like look man i can't keep living like this and my pops was like well look i'm trying to you know and so then on my mother's side my mother, my grandparents on my mother's side came from a different type of situation. When my grandparents on my father's side were more uh, blue collar, my my grandfather he was a, a newspaper publisher, so he had a one of the first black newspapers in New York called the New York Voice. It was the New York Voice and the Amsterdam News, and he was from he was from Iowa. He lived on a he he grew up on an Indian reservation actually, Native wow. American reservation. He he worked his way. He was a porter. Then he became um, a roadie for Benny Goodman. So he started rolling with Benny Goodman, and he started. Then he started rocking with. Um, 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 I'm, I'm I'm losing my. Plays the vibes. Lionel, Lionel Hampton. Hampton. I'm sorry. So he started rocking with Lionel Hampton, which gave me my first drum set. So my first my first um instrument was from Lionel Hampton. But that's a whole wow. so, so that's a common family. quest love supreme yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. 
everyone's grandfather always rolls with someone he's <laughs> yeah. ass and it trickles down to the grandson. And and he met my grandmother because my grandmother was a show singer. So my so prodigy. they met on the road and you know he was the type of dude that, you know, when he met her, she was real pretty. She my, and also my grandmother was the first black Pepsi model. So Whoa. so he was the kind of guy that he bagged a, a bad chick but then he didn't want her to do bad chick things anymore, so he brought her to, he brought her to Queens and gave her a bunch of babies, and one of the babies was my mom. Wait, what's what's, what's her name? What's her name? Corian Drew or Corian, Corian Davis. Okay. And um, you're gonna look at that right now. Do I want to know what she looked? I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. I can probably see that. I did too. wanted to see her. On I yeah, let's all just pull out our phones. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody else is listening. Is so I'm like, okay. Just so do so so you know at you know at at that time. So Pepsi, besides that, did, did you have um? My I'm God. sorry. Go ahead. No, you were saying. No, I can ramble, so you can ask. No. Yeah. So encourage rambling. So, so, so that, so, and on my grand, on my father's side, my grandfather was a detective, and my grandmother was a, a social worker. So it was just two different types of family, and they all supported in a different way, you know. So, like, my grandmother has, you know, both grandmothers have grand pianos in their in their in their house. So, you know, I'm I'm teaching myself how to play stuff. Um, you know, my grandfather, very encouraging with music. Like I said, takes me to Lionel Hampton's house. First time I've ever been to a house with a a person had a butler. I was like, yo, the only person I thought would have a butler was like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and I get to this man's apartment, which wow. looks just like, the building looked just like George Jefferson's apartment. We get up there and the butler comes with a tray. And I'm like, <laughs> where are we at? And Mr. Hampton comes out and, you know, and he just talks to me about music and I'm talking to him and I'm talking about Run DMC and he's looking at me like, what? <laughs> How old are you at this, at this point? Um, nine. Shit. I had to have been like eight or nine. Talking to him about, you know, like, hey, man, who do you like? Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, man. The message. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, whatever, son. Yeah, uh, you know, so he gives me the drums, and the only thing I play on the drums is Planet Rock, Yeah. The Message, Freedom, Eighth Wonder, and then because a lot of them had horns, I would go to school and learn how to play the trumpet. So all I would play was just, I would just play the rap the records. That's all I would do. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> After I learned how to play Freedom, I don't want to play the horn anymore. I'll just stop playing the trumpet. You know, so, and even with the piano, it's like, I heard the the, the rap, different rap records or just different records in general and I love just playing that and then, but I hated lessons. I just hated the lessons part, but, you know. So you didn't want to practice that much? I wanted to practice what I made up. Okay. I didn't want to do scales. I didn't want to do fertilis. I don't want to do none of that fingering. All that I, I hated that. And my my teacher, Miss Punter, she was the type. You know, you play and you use the wrong finger. Pat fingers. That's all she would mm -hmm. say. And I, I would have to do like you know like piano recitals. It was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. My legs would shake. I hated <laughs> wow. it. Hated it. You mentioned fertilis. I, I I dubbed that. The the Alicia Keys knock knock tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> y'all go. No, no shots fired. I love you, Swiss. I'm coming. only playing. I'm only playing. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was just one time when I seen the show. It was going to start off real deep, like all these all these chords uh, and effects, yeah. and then it slows down. <laughs> Stop it now. I'm trying to help. It was like you know, 18 <laughs> seconds and something. 
And the audience goes wild. Yeah, yeah. We love you, Alicia. Like, oh my no, lord! Come on, You're man. welcome I love here. That. Come on now. I love the shit, out of Alicia. That's my that's my homie. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. So... You're you're saying that hip hop at I mean as an MC, when did you figure out this is this is my path my um I well first of all like you know just as a kid I would write and compose things mm-hmm. but I knew I couldn't sing anything so you know rapping was like the best case scenario at that point and you know. 
I loved Melly Mel. I loved Tila Rock. You know, I loved, and then, and then somebody came to my house with a tape said, you got to hear this guy. He put the tape in and it was Lottie Dottie. Not the record. It was just Lottie Dottie somewhere in a park. It's the routine. Yeah. And then it went into Treat Her Like a Prostitute. And I was like, what did I just witness just now? And then I started getting, I started getting stuff that, me and Rick are very cool, me and Doug are cool. I got stuff from Rick that he doesn't even remember. I was like, yo, there's this one thing. Where you, I say the whole rhyme to him, and it's, and somebody's on a drum machine, and he, and it turns into like um, Indian cheat. Uh, what's the what's the song? Um, David Crockett. David Crockett. David Crockett. So some of those rhymes from David Crockett. All those old routines. Do you still have those tapes? I oh. I definitely do. I just got to find them, oh, but man, I definitely have them. Um, <laughs> but I just got so immersed into Rick, and then on one end Rick, and then on the other end Cool G Rap, and because I knew G. It was just another thing. So so then, you know, the sound immersions is like, okay, you know, I'm starting to write stories. And the funny thing is I'm writing these stories and they're just dirty, just nasty, dirty stories. And I would do these rap battles and I would win with the stories and stuff. And it was, you know, they would call me Baby Rick and this, that, and the third. And mm-hmm. or, you know, I would I would definitely like I That was would, your rhyme style. I would interweave Slick Rick and Cool G Rap, if that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> it totally does. So, so, um, and then, you know, being around Herbie and then Dana Dane came around and Dana Dane to me was just as great as Slick Rick. So I started shadowing Dana all the time. And, um, but I think the click was two things that happened. It was a, a, a place I wish still existed called USA, United States of America in Queens. Yeah. Every Sunday, Somebody would perform. I'm talking about Eric B and Rakim this Sunday, New Edition next Sunday, LL Cool J next Sunday. Every Sunday, Light Clockwork. It was the greatest breakdance place. If you ever watch Beach Street when they go to the Roxy mm-hmm. in battle, just picture that with just in Queens. It was that, and that's why Beach Street resonates with me so much because it was something that was actually real for me. And so we went to see Cool G Rap perform. He had only two records. It's a demo and Talk Like Six. I'm Fly. Oh, don't fly. Oh, yeah. I'm Fly was the flip side. That's only two records he had. And he got up there and to see the girls in the that I knew in the neighborhood. Can you curse on you? Yeah, absolutely. So girls in the neighborhood that wouldn't do nothing would be like, yo, I wanna fuck him now. (laughs) Like hearing like the good girls that that I just go to school with saying, wait, we see him. Every day. We used to call him Abdul. <laughs> we see Abdul every day. And all of a sudden, he come he came out. I remember this in a Dapper Dan Louis Wait, Vuitton suit. Mm, no, but knew. you know, everybody had a Muslim right. or no, I just, five percent. His we name always is, call him G Rep. I never knew what his His name is Nathaniel. Is Nathaniel. Yeah, oh, okay. But we back in the days he was Abdul. Abdul, okay. Um <laughs> sorry, G. <laughs> <laughs> and and he came out in this he came out in this uh Louis Vuitton suit. He had a Gucci link on with a, 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 a some medallion, a head full of jerry curls with a fade, what? gold teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the thing. You I know, can't believe we thought that was sexy. You know, yeah. G-Rap with the curl. Wow. And, you know, and, and, and he's rhyming on fly. Then he throws out these dollars. Oh, he made it rain. And then he threw out, <laughs> then he threw out roses. Ooh. And 
You met all these right. girls. That's Kane. That's Kane. That's Kane. This is pre-Kane. So we're like, y'all need to do that. What the fuck? And the girls, and but it still didn't click. So then I asked my father. Then a couple of like in the summer. This was the winter, the summertime. Um, I'm sorry. This was later. Second, the first thing that happened was I asked my father to take me to a Slick Rick, Dougie Fresh concert oh, no. at City College in Harlem. So my pops would take me anywhere, anything music related, he was with it. He would take me, we'd get in that bus, and he was with it. He bought me turntables. He was 1,000%. I'll get into him. That's so dope. But, you know, um, and and I'm going to tell the story. I know you can relate to this one. So we get into the store. We get to the city college, and Doug comes on. He's doing his Dougie Fresh records. He had a couple of records before the show. Yeah. Then he Then a magician comes out. Wait, what? A hip hop magician. <laughs> Wait, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> so the magician comes out and he to the beat, he's like throwing fire out his hands and all this what? crazy shit. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. And then the music stops and all you hear from the back is one, two, one, two. Yo, the chicks went stupid. <laughs> Rick saunters out in this fila suit and ballys his his Kango and Shades and he was just like yo what's up y'all and all the chicks was losing their brains I was like that is it I have been <laughs> sanctified it's like Jesus touched me at that one moment I was like fuck anything I, went, I was going to school to be an illustrator I was I was in art school and I'm like I'm not doing no art I was a science major also. Fuck science. Oh. <laughs> Damn. I have been touched by the devil. <laughs> Fuck There's science. no way I'm not doing this for a living for the rest of my life. There's no way. Rick, he did Lottie Dottie, did the show. He bounced. Chicks was losing their absolute minds. I was like, oh, no, this this got to be my life, man. I can't. <laughs> I can't not, not do that. But, like, to touch on my pops real quick, he... This is how my father was. I'm a heavy Prince fan. And so, uh -oh. you know, I'm I, like Prince. Like I relate to the musicality of Prince, but I relate to the style of Morris Day. So I'm all, I remember 7779311. That's like one of my first records also that I ever bought. I'm, I bought, you know, I don't think my father let me buy. Um, Dirty, Dirty Mind album because of him and no, his drawers. No, no, none of our fathers did. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, and I remember bringing home 1999. It's like, yo, why is there a dick on the cover? Like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, so, so I was doing a talent show and I was going to be, it was a toss up between getting my boys together and becoming the time or just doing it alone and being Prince. So my mother had a purple raincoat, put the purple coat on. She had this blouse, put the blouse on. <laughs> Game put blouses. on my jeans. She had these purple suede boots. Put them boots on. Put this little thing around my hair. I had, a, I had a bush. And I'm downstairs practicing Let's Go Crazy. And my father walks in the basement. What the fuck are you doing? I feel like Bill and Amir have stories like that. I, no, I'm like, man. I'm just surprised mom had all that purple. It yeah. was good. Every mom so has a, every yeah. black mom has purple. So just, he was like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's Prince, man. He said, Prince? What the fuck? And I'm like, yo, it's Prince. So I show him Purple Rain. He's like, oh. He said, this bullshit, come with me. He took me to the, he took me to the video store. 
You know, there was no blockbuster. He took me to the video store. He's like, give me whatever you have on Jimi Hendrix, James <laughs> Brown, and Little Richard. Wow. He and he made me you. sit down and watch every documentary on those three. He said, now there goes Prince. That's so dope. That's what you want to do? That's what you want to be? You got to know who these guys are. And so, you know, that was his thing. Wait, can we stop? Um, for all of you that are listening to this episode, <laughs> this is why we do this episode. <laughs> Parents, I want you to teach your children. Do yep. exactly mm-hmm. what he said. Mm-hmm. Musical punishments are great. Yeah. <laughs> I was no, dude, they I was never forced to listen to John me. Coltrane. Yep. I huh? wish I had musical punishments. Great. My parents knew you couldn't punish me with music. They said, go to listen to that. Then, okay, okay, yeah, give me more of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, you know. Listening to M2 man got me John Coltrane for a month. So yep. I get Oh, it. wow. So, so you know, it's like, even with Morris Day, he saw Morris Day. He's like, you like what he has on? I can take you to where exactly you can buy every one of those things. We went to Stacey Adams. I got, nah. you wow. know, and so my eighth grade prime, I pretty much had what Morris Day had because he <laughs> took me to the actual place. Nice. So, so you know, that's the type of, you know, pops he was. And I'm not saying my mother wasn't as, as encouraging, but my mom's was the type of person was like, Stop doing that beat stuff with your mouth. It's going to mess your mouth up. (laughs) Your lips are going to be distorted. It's not going to look right. Tie your shoes. You're going to get flat feet. You're not going to be able to walk right. Stop moving your body like that. You're going to get stuck that way. Your head is going to (laughs) break. Don't spin on your head. It'll break it. We can't afford the hospital. Stop. Can I ask, are you the only child? No. I had a little brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so the oldest kid. So, so you know, so, and that was cool because, I, you know, I had a little brother and my little cousins, if I couldn't get like a record or whatever, I would like, look, my brother's three. Tell them you want. Funk you right on up. Are you still? Tell them you want super rhymes. Super, but, you know, so my brother would go ask for super rhymes while I went and got these are the bricks. Right, right, You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So, so. That was how you built the collection. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, then, then we would do like, we would type, we were like the double trouble or something. We would come out, we got a show for you. And then we put on the breaks and we would perform the breaks for, Routines. you know, sure. for dinner and stuff like that. So we were those kids. Um, and yeah, you know, so, so that, back to your question, because I went around it. That Slick Rick moment, that Cool G rap moment was like, all right, yeah, this is. Okay, so how far was it in the future until, you were on stage for the first time doing your show pre deal, like pre deal. Oh, high immediately. No, 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 content? no, no. Immediately, it wasn't. Well, you got your deal at sixteen, right? Yeah. So, so I say for that example, was marketing. You were really sixteen when you did. I got my oh, deal yeah. at sixteen. Oh, By the time Boy man. Genius came out, I was about to be seventeen. Okay. But um, I always did shows. Like you know, um, I hate saying this in front of you, but you know, I used to. Kill the drums, man. Like, seriously, I was, like, on my thing. So my thing, I used to be good enough to where my school would pimp me out. And you rhyme and, pl- and drum at the same time? Sometimes I would. Dude, that would have been such a dope marketing angle for what you. What are you saying? Anderson Pac is the only person that's ever done that. <laughs> Don Henley. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is. That was a joke, y'all. When I was a kid, when I was a, when I was a kid, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and they got wind that I, that I played like that, it would be just like. Showtime at Kwame's Apollo, they would just say, okay, today you're going to the fourth grade class and you're going to play the drums for them. And they would wow. set up a drum and I would just play Planet Rock. Or you need to get out of the fourth period. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, so, so, you know, me performing, that was like, 
that's what I love to do. So, you know, when it time when it was time to rhyme, like literally the teacher would be like, Look, we're going to roller skating today and there's gonna be a DJ and a microphone. Kwame, don't rap. That that would be the <laughs> the prerequisite. And this is, you know, sixth, seventh grade. So, you know, the first time I was really like serious, serious is that same place USA. There was a, a rap contest every month or something. Mm -hmm. And so the the winner would get to go on tour to all the other USAs. And it was probably four more, like one in Rhode Island, one in Philly. Boston. There was a Philly one. Yes, there was. We, um, had, we had them in Indiana too. So. And, you know, so it was like an East Coast thing. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, we're on tour. So just to give you, a, a, the people in this contest was myself. I won one. Master Ace won the one before that. Father MC won the one before that. I can't remember. Super Lover C Casanova Rudd won the one before that. Whoa. So it was all it was four of us that would be out doing these USA shows. You know, so if say if if it was the month that I was in my competition, the special guest would be Super Lover C, um, Father MC or Master Ace. You know, but we all, you know, we all got cool pretty much. Mm -hmm. from the from that experience um and then you know soup got they got their deal first and then you know ace got his thing with juice crew you know father mc he, he came after me but no one got deals per se from it but that was the performing experience like right. the biggest the most coveted thing that i have is the trophy from that usa wow. it's in my case you still have it I still have it. It's broken. It looks like a piece of garbage. But, you know, and no one will know what it was. But, you know, they'll be like, why is this thing sitting there? You got all these plaques. Why is it sitting right? Yo, know, man, that's that's the my first award. That's what, the only were you, what were you performing at that time? Story rhymes. Okay. It was so like, it was your own material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I had okay. a beatbox. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have a foil to do music for you? or? Yeah, I had, I had the beatbox. Okay. And then... Um, you should have drum and rhymed at the same I used to I used to use this Dr. Rhythm drum Dr. machine. Dr. Rhythm. Oh, yeah. wow. I would make a beat and I, you know, if if the beatbox wouldn't come or I would have the, the Dr. Rhythm, whatever the beat was, and then he would beat on top of it. And then, you know, and then, and then I would rhyme. But it was mainly like story, mm -hmm. nasty, dirty story rhymes that get people to go, oh, That a 16-year-old shouldn't be saying? Yeah, and then to the point where I remember my father... And mother found one of the rhymes, Ooh. and this is after they split. Well, they up. find the story, boy. Yeah, so they find a rhyme, a rhyme that fell out, and it was just like pussy, bitch, fuck, hoe, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And you know, being like trying to be like Slick Rick, you know, always has like a, a song that is attached to it, right? You know, I fucked it so good. She was like, "Damn, damn." <laughs> so, <laughs> so. So or some um, old bird back <laughs> yeah, reference yeah, yeah. or something like that. No, but mine mine was the actual Dale. So uh, oh, oh so, Dale. So my father was like, um, my mother and father sat me down, and this is I can remember it so vividly because they were split up for a while, and this was the one time they were together, uh, and they sat me down and said, "Would you say this?" My mother was like, "Would you say this filth to me?" I'm like, no. Would you say it to your grandmother? No, and we're in my grandmother's house. Get your grandmother right now and read and this rhyme oh, to your grandmother. So my grandma's like, what's going on? She's like, sit down. Listen oh, to your grandson. Get ready. The bitch was sitting on my lap and 
I began to rap. <laughs> whatever that was, whatever the rhyme was. And my grandmother was like, oh. she just got up and walked away. <laughs> oh, oh Yo, man. Let's hear it for hip hop humiliation punishment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always. Yes. Oh, man. Triple H. That's weird. I, I, I got it for owning it. He you got it say for it, performing right? it. You know, did you, so to get a record deal, did you finally feel like, Vindicated, like okay, now um, this this is paid off. Well, before before I get to that, my rap name, that was the big issue. Oh, what were, my rap weren't... name was Sweet Daddy, <laughs> Jazzy K, GQ. That was your whole name? whole thing, whole name, Sweet Daddy, Jazzy K, GQ. Yeah, everyone's first name it's like is a driver. Driver. What, what was your first rap name, Fonte? Before Little Brother Fonte, it was Psychological. <laughs> That's who you. <laughs> that's not even that bad. But it, but no, it was, but the real comedy came the in spelling? the way I spelled it. Yeah, you already well, know I, it was I the nineties. But I'm sure it was awesome. P P S Y K A L O G I K A L with a question mark at the end, <laughs> <laughs> and it was in all caps. Was it a backwards question, question mark? mark? See, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't. Yeah, friends. it was. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, I remember, man. It was like being in the studio one time, and Dana, Dana Dane was like, "Look, man." <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but that's the stupidest name I've ever heard in my life. And I looked up to Dana so much, so I was like heartbroken. I was like, for real, man? He's like, yo, I don't know anybody with the name Kwame. I don't know anybody with that name. Just use your name. And Salt, which was weird, was in the next room going, yeah, that's a stupid ass name. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and she was like, fine as hell, so yeah, you so do anything Salt, she says. So Salt and Dana are killing me, and Salt is like, you know, you, we know what you're doing. We know when we go away, you come in here and you steal the drum machines and, and you make this music and, and everything. You're like a little little boy genius. Why don't you just call yourself Kwame the damn boy genius or something? Not sweet daddy Jazzy K. I'm like, <laughs> and that's how, that's how the whole thing started. So now, Honestly, man, like really, like you were one of the first. Nerds. Yeah, the first nerds. Like when I bought yeah. the boy genius, I mean, that album came out, I was like 10, I think. Yeah. And seeing, you know, Kwame, but then reading the credits and seeing your name was Kwame Holland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the early times I saw, I was like, man, I could just be Fonte. I could just rap under my name. You yep. were the first cats to Dope. inspire me to do that. Like you were the cool. first hip-hop nerd. Yeah. So that that's probably what it was. Okay, so there's an associate of yours that I've been dying to interview. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know that much about him. Okay. Can you speak of... One of my hip hop idols as a producer. All right. Herbie? Herbie Lovebug. Yeah, please. Herbie is the most elusive man on the planet. You do not know what country he's Where is he now? It it could be anywhere. Literally, he's the he's the male Carmen San Diego. Like I can text <laughs> Herbie, where are you? I'm in Haiti. Where are you? I'm in France. But the where last time I Africa. spoke to him, he, he was where? Miami. Okay. So, that's that's one of my dream my personal Top five interview goals is definitely Herbie Love. Yeah, I want it. Yeah, I, I want it, Herbie too. Herbie, I'm telling you, Herbie is like to run into her. It's just you. You'll run into Herbie in the weirdest places. Like for example, you know, I keep in touch with you know my old crew is Salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, Dana Dane, Sweet mm -hmm. T, um, and so most of us still keep in touch in some way, shape, or form. So it'll be like. One it was like sometime last year, I'm talking to Play. He's in LA. I'm I'm in New York, and we're talking on the phone, and we're like, man, we should find Herbie and throw him a dinner. 
an appreciation dinner. I was like, yeah, if you can find him, it's like everybody has his number, but you just got to find him. Mm. And I swear to you, like 45 minutes later, Play calls me up. Yo, I'm walking down the fucking block and here goes Herbie. And he puts Herbie on the phone. What? And then I talk to Herbie for a minute. Play talks to him for a minute. And then nobody sees him again after that. Just some, it's like random. So I, I have not physically seen Herbie. The last time I physically saw him was when VH1 was doing these hip hop honors. Mm-hmm. And um, they were honoring Salt and Pepper. And we were going down the, the, um, the step and repeat. And Herbie wasn't invited. Oh, wow. But Herbie was on the in the press line with a camera crew and a and a microphone that said HTV. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, yo, you want to do an interview? I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Wait a minute, I was there that year. He was you, in- yeah, you were there. He was there and he said, I own a TV station. So that sounds about right. Herbie. I'm doing uh, I'm gonna do I'm doing interviews. I was like, you, are you coming inside? Like, no, I ain't going in there. <laughs> it's crazy. This is let me Herbie is let me let me get y'all to understand Herbie. Herbie's the type of guy. He is the template for any ball out producer. Puffy. He is the there. template. Like when I say the template, Puff Jermaine used to mm-hmm. shadow Herbie all the time. You know, and Herbie's the only person I've literally like Herbie would pick me up one time. Like we were just hanging out. This is like in the mid '90s. We we reconnected and we would just hang out every day for some stupid stuff. Let's go get White Castle. Let's do this. Let's do. It. And every single day, a different, brand new car would pick me up. It would be a Hummer. It would be whatever was hot at the time. But I've never met a person with forty cars. Jesus. Like literally. Mm-hmm. You being would, sarcastic? No, I'm not, I'm being literal. Okay. I've been in a garage that a friend of ours owned. And I was like, 9-11s, Benz's. And then I'm like, who? Like, who? He said, oh, this is, this is where Herbie stores all his cars. But then go to L.A. and see the same Push amount of cars. Oh same amount of cars in L.A. You know, it was just, then go to Miami and see the same. I was like, what are you doing? But he was not. But when I say, when I say that, it wasn't like he was the type of person that would super blow his money. He would just come up on, I don't know how he did it. And he made, you got to understand, Salt and Pepper has sold a lot of records. Mm-hmm. More than any female rapper, and they never want to say this, but like those albums sold five, six, seven million copies, mm-hmm. and Herbie wrote all the rhymes mm-hmm. and did, the, did all the music. So you're getting 100%. And you're getting those that royalty, that's a lot of of money. And then you have push it, push is now a commercial song. So it's like, and and he's the only producer that I know that was able to have say, because there was some acts that people just never heard of anymore or heard of. Period. But he would have ten separate acts with ten separate deals, commanding ten budgets at the same time. It's like the original Risen. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think that the one thing that I, I you know, have always respected, and I, he puts the battery in my back as a producer. You know, I've always respected him as a producer. Um, a lot of people think he produced my stuff, and and that's that's false. He never did. But um, 
as a producer, I had to give him so much respect for doing that, but I never understood why it never left his camp. Like you it was would a I, secret, right? Like, I felt like it was a secret. Why didn't you produce a record for Madonna? You know, why didn't you produce a record for I remember he did a remix for REM one time and you know, we thought that was a big deal. But um it never went past that, but did it really have to because he had he had his own. And and I never understood why if you were a captain of a ship, why not make everybody be on a record together? Everybody was so about themselves, including me. That we never yep. figured that that switch out. You know what I'm saying? Y'all were in each other's videos. Like yeah, that's yeah, how yeah, you, yeah, you guys yeah. were down with each other. Because yeah. on your debut, yeah. my God, Tariq lost his mind when he first saw It's the Man We All Know and Love. Like, because he was trying to describe I didn't have uh MTV mm-hmm. in my part of town, so basically Tariq would record it for me. Yeah, yeah. And then give me the tape on Monday. So he would describe <laughs> it to me. And he was just like, yo, there's this video. Malcolm Jamal Warner's in it. Yeah. Kid and Play's in it. And he's he's reenacting the entire video. Like, so Tariq had already from, and he starts with the Sesame Street thing. Mm-hmm. One of these kids is doing his own thing. He's like, he's like, he, he basically said it was like a cross between, because like I was, like you know the premise of class act the mm-hmm, movie mm-hmm. that was me and Tariq I was the nerd that knew breakbeats it was Duncan Penderhues yes I got I got I got I, got, I, got, I have a great class act and he was Blade Brown oh I want to hear it please yes. I'm in class act no, well, wait, you know this no. wait, you were the one kid that was sleeping right no I got it was the worst best experience of my life so I was supposed to be Dougie Doug's character oh I got the role I actually got the role I flew to LA to start shooting and play goes. What are you doing here? Oh. I'm here to work. He says, "No, you're not." He, we wanted him, so huh? so they they chose Dougie Doug, which was a good choice. He's a comedian. I'm so not. So that was cool. Kid so, and play chose Dougie Doug. Yes. Okay. So they 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 lobbied for him. Mm. That and and so they said had no idea that I even tried out. So they said, "Well, we we'll write a part for you." So they wrote a part called Squirrely Kid. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had to wear my own clothes. I had wore my propeller hat, and the the premise was the 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 bully guy. Mm-hmm. He, I'm tired of him bullying me, so I pull out a 38, a real oh, 38, yeah, 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 yeah. and he's supposed to knock the 38 out of my hand, pick me up, throw me out the window. So he does that. So in rehearsal, the original, ah. <laughs> yeah, instead yeah, of him yeah. knocking the gun, he was supposed to knock the gun this way out. He does it to where the gun comes this way and it oh, busts wait, the what? whole side of my face. Oh, up. that big dude. Like it the blood everywhere. Everything was crazy. So they had to shoot me from one side. And then and this random stunt guy was the dude they threw out the window. But I was like, I was like, you know, it's a it's a it's a mistake. They thought I was gonna sue the the, the movie company. Right. I was just so hyped to be in a movie. I was like, eh, whatever. And then, you know, had a a busted lip for like two weeks and then kept it pushing. And so, you know, but, you know, that was a, a an example of how you could be in the same crew, but yet you're still doing your 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 thing, you know, because Kid and Play should have lobbied for me to be in the movie a little bit more. I, I could say that. I'm not, 
I'm not bitter about it. And I'm, we've talked about it. So it's nothing against them. They were on a path that they wanted to be on. But I can't understand, like, why why wouldn't Salt and Pepper be Tashina Arnold and, I mean, Tisha Campbell right. and, and, and AJ Tish- Sanders? Like, that would have been dope. Wow. Why, why, why wouldn't that be Salt and Pepper? Well, wait, because Herbie did that. Oh. But but I do know that story. That story was that movie was made for Jazzy um, Jeff and the Fresh Prince. No, uh, uh-uh. it was originally written for oh. um, um, Groove B Chill. But Groove B Chill wasn't big enough. They didn't, they, you know, they didn't think that was going to be big enough to carry it, yeah. a movie. So then it was submitted to Jeff and Prince. Right. And I don't know what that politic well, was. The fab, okay, so real quick, we're talking you about remember, House Party because y'all ain't House Party. Yeah. yeah, you remember when. Will and Jeff had their own Freddy song, yeah. A Nightmare yeah. on My Street. Yeah, yeah. Well, New Line Cinema had already designated hmm, who's the most popular rap group out there. Yeah, oh, yeah. the Fat Boys. So, basically, Will and Jeff. Are you ready? Will and Jeff have basically messed up the Fat Boys Nightmare theme because their shit was way bigger than theirs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, New Line Cinema tried to sue Will and Jeff. Yes, yep. And then this movie comes up because the the the, the Hudlin brothers really want Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince based mm-hmm. on parents just don't understand. Yeah, and so a bunch of red team, whatever, and you know they're like, no, they're trying to sue us anyway for Nightmare on. We don't want New Line Cinema. So then they went to Kid and Play. Yeah. So, but but so what I'm talking about with Groovy Chill is pre all of that. It's the the inception writing a script. Mm-hmm. And with them in mind, I think it was like Groovy, Groovy Chill and Finescence and Quiz or something wow. like that. Wow. That was like that was like the inception of wow. the script from from what I was told. I, you know, I could be wrong. So, um, you know, so so but just imagine if it was a Salt and Pepper Kid and Play movie or, yeah, you know, and, and another thing with House Party. That was my other movie failure, I guess. I was I went to L.A. I went to live in L.A. to be in House Party. Um, you know, Herbie gassed me up. Yo, you can make your second album. You can make music for the movie. And you Bilal? Ah, yeah. <laughs> and then I get to the set. There's no nothing for me to do. But yet, if you look at the movie, there's like ten Kwame lookalikes in the house part. Oh yeah, because T- TC dancing and all this stuff. And I'm like bumping the table. So I couldn't have done that. Like really, y'all couldn't have. Y'all couldn't have said, okay, homie, you can go. I can I can dance. You know, I could, I could have danced well enough for the movie. So so it was things like that. So even I, if y'all were family, are you saying that there was just in-house competition with this is my dodane? Like, yeah. go get your, yeah. don't use my platform to, so you, they couldn't see the bigger picture. I to, think the, the biggest picture was Salt and Pepper. And Salt and Pepper's platform allowed everybody else to be on a platform. For example, that NWA movie that you everybody saw straight mm-hmm. out of Compton, that tour that they were on, that was me, NWA, Easy E, Kid and Play, Salt and Pepper. Um, you were there that night. I was. In I Detroit? was. I was on that tour. Uh, yeah. Yo. So so, but but that took place because the the power of Salt and Pepper was like, well, if you want Salt and Pepper on this tour. You got to take, take Kwame and Kid and play. But it was cool. You know, and the cool thing was that's how my my record sales grew because in the beginning of the tour, they had no idea who the hell I was. By the end of the tour, you know, things were popping. Um, and that tour, honestly, the tour was only two weeks. 
week, week and a half. It wasn't even. It was supposed to be two weeks or it got cut yeah, short. No, no, that was it. <laughs> right, but right. two weeks to a kid that doing something they've never done before on tour. And it was so dope because it was like, you know, the ordinances, there, you know, no cursing, no, you know, all these ordinances. So we would do things like, all right, easy, we're coming to our dressing room. We would all do things together. If anybody knows about tour, sometimes the closing acts always have the louder music, always have mm-hmm. the better everything. But they did not want to do it. Everybody had an equal sound. Everybody had equal stage, um, free to roam. But the plan was, okay, look, this is how we're going to do it. Kwame, you're going to go on, and then you're going to run off, and then Easy's going to come on. Easy's going to say all types of craziness nwa is gonna come in we're gonna say all types of craziness and on the last song kid and play run on stage easy and them are gonna jump in the crowd and run out straight out the 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 arena and this is 30 30 seat arenas every night so that's to avoid that was we were we were playing trickery on the local police we couldn't and it got to the point, because of fuck the police, it got to the point that we all, no hotel within that city would accept us. So we would have to go to outlying cities and change our names. And it got even worse. Imagine a 30,000 seater, no security. Because all the local oh, wow. cops what? boycotted. It was no, like, yeah. All cops boycotted. So they're like, look, y'all want to say fuck us, fuck y'all. Hope y'all die in there. <laughs> so we would have to get on stage and be like, look, it was like local security guards with like yellow shirts and shit. Mm-hmm. And we would have to be like, look, they want us to kill ourselves tonight. So what are y'all going to do? We know there's gangs in here. We know we know with the type. We know there's all types of people in here, but they want us to die. You know, P.E. was on some of the shows, so you know Chuck would get in and, and say what he had to say. I was about to say that everybody and, speak their piece. Like, yeah, in no, no, N.W.A. No. too, they speak yeah, their piece before yeah, they start. Yeah, but, but but we, we, it was so cool because the cleaner acts did pick up for the, for the quote-unquote dirtier acts. You know, Too Short was on the show. So whoever Dirty comes on has a clean guy got to come on right after Jesus. that. So it was Just never. Just to make you forget, that's the Men in Black flashy yeah. band trick. Like, <laughs> But it was never, it was never, um, it was never a thing where it was like, I sold this many records, so I'm going on last or anything. It was nothing like that because we understood it was us against them at this point. So we're on this, we're on this crazy tour, and I, you know, it was pr- probably the best two weeks of my life. You know, I can't imagine <laughs> an NWA and Kitten Play tour. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, I it makes sense, but because. Hip hop got so divided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before by the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Like, what about the fans who just came to see the good and fans who just came to see the? There was no such thing. The fame. People would be like the Roots and Future performing. You know what I mean? (laughs) But see, you got to, you got to. Was there any nervousness over territory? So, like, if you were, I mean, you could be hitting in New York. You know, no, but, but if you but played, it, it, it happened for NW like that. By the time we reached, we did the Spectrum in Philly. Yeah, it was cool, but. Once we went past Philly, mm. kind of all bets was off a little bit for, for, for well, mm-hmm. at least Too Short. NWA was a different story, but Too Short, like, them records never really reached the East really Coast. Hit. All right. But 
anywhere pre-Philly, from L.A. up to D.C., Virginia, mm-hmm. Too Short was the first rapper I've ever seen get on stage and never say a word. 30,000 people knew every line to every song. And at the end of the show, what's my favorite word? Bitch! And that was the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money... What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire. But when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It, okay, now, oh, God. Now I, I got someone that has been in front of 30,000 people during the classic hip-hop era. My version of touring is very blue-collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you've seen us, you know. Yeah. Granola cereal and oatmeal. Dave Matthews playing on the... <laughs> Dave Matthews playing on the PA system in between acts. What give me just give me life on tour in 1989? What's going on? So let me know everything from from women on down. It was, it's like I'll give you, 
like my stories, man, I'm telling you, these things are crazy. Like it'll be things like you pull up to a city. And the reason why we were doing arenas, because rap was so, rap was like, if I don't know if anybody's ever experienced a, a, a Mexican act that comes to like, say, Madison Square Garden or something oh. like that. They don't, because it's so compartmentalized, mm -hmm. everybody just goes to one place to see it. Right. There were no clubs, you know, there was no club dates or anything. It was just like, all right, there's these rappers. How do we get everybody who likes rap in one place at one time to the basketball arena? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was like that. Um, so we would get to town, and it would be things like um, just personal experience. Like I would pull in, and there would be a girl standing in front of the hotel. Where's Carmel? Like who's Carmel? You know Carmel, and we wearing the polka dots, got the streaks. Uh -uh. Where's Carmel? And ready to set that country pussy out. And, and, and it'll be like, it's literally, literally, it'll be something where my boy be like, he's in the back of that bus, and by the time she got to the back of the bus, she was butt naked, like one hundred percent butt naked, big. 300 pounds. I want Carmel where he at right now. And you see, and it'll be like, it would be weird things like that. Or I'll give you a, 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 um, a Milwaukee story. So, so the smaller, obscure towns are the more craziest. Yeah. Uh, Kalamazoo, Madison, Wisconsin. The craziest places Say that on earth. Again? Kalamazoo. Hello, Bill Johnson. How are you? The craziest place. About my Kalamazoo, oh. Michigan references. Go ahead. So, like in Milwaukee, imagine like you know we weren't in the fly hotels. We didn't get boutique hotels or anything. We were in Holiday Inns and Best Westerns or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, the only people that could even match up with rappers at the time were drug dealers where you have like say you know you'll come to a, say a root show you'll be you have actors there you'll have um um athletes there at this time we weren't necessarily cool to like michael jordan would never show up at a rap show malcolm jamal warner would <laughs> yeah but, yeah but he was our age so it right. doesn't count yeah. but michael jordan somebody like a baseball player a basketball player an actor for the most part the biggest person that would ever show up to anything would be Bobby Brown and Mike Tyson. So, you know, that those guys would be the ones that would run with us. But anybody else, we were like those nasty-ass rappers. They had hoodlums in it. Dorian Haywood. Yeah. <laughs> Dorian Haywood. Exactly. Sorry. So, so, so we weren't ever in, any, in anything posh. So we would get to, like, say, the Holiday Inn, and the only people that would be around us were the local drug dealers. So, you know, like... We knew them all. We were friends with them all. Mount so those Poland. are all of them. All of them. Jay Prince. Everybody. You just run down the line. Whoever was hot at the time was popping. Everybody who was popping and they were young enough to like rap. You know Jay Prince? Very well. Wow. But see. <laughs> silence. But you know. Yeah, I don't want to go But there. that's when we, we go to Houston. That's who, who took care of everybody. You know, that's not. See, I don't understand. This is the before I get into the story. I don't understand the, the 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 flashing lights over the name Jay Prince. Right. I don't get. I don't personally understand. Why don't it you understand? Because he was just homie when we got to to um. He had the Rolex hookup. He had the the club hookup. He had the girl hookup. He would show you know you know 
uh, Scarface. He was the man in Houston. Yes, yeah, Scarface would come. He would be at every show before he was Scarface. Scarface and Bushwick Bill, we would know them because they had a laminate. They used to rock laminates from every single show that ever happened in Houston, ever. They would always be in. You know, Dana used to live with Jay Prince. So, you know, I don't... Mm. Dana Dane there? So, yeah. So, yeah. so you know, and Dana would call it, yo, man, this dude got an elevator in his house. <laughs> like, for real? <laughs> so, so, you know, and all we knew was Jay Prince had rap a lot records and, you know, like, okay. So, I don't, I personally don't understand... Everyone's fear of Jay Prince. Yeah, I, I, I well, don't. That's good that you don't, because it might be a little rare. It might be something. <laughs> and it's maybe I don't. Have been I don't fed very well, but uh. yeah, no, no. I'm saying I'm, as maybe my lack of my my ignorance in research. Hey, I can only go. Right I can always, you know, go back and see. Okay, what do I? Maybe you was a dude that everybody loved. No, so we. But this just you know? it was just never a situation. You never had to check in with anybody when you got to a certain ah, town. You never. It was okay. just everybody. So I'm saying the people that. So. so to add on to that or ask on to that. Mm -hmm. When did you lose that feeling? Like when did hip hop suddenly become a foreign city to you? Like um, shit, wait, what's going on here? Like I wanted to tell my Milwaukee story. Oh tell no 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 but, but that's second that. that's so Milwaukee, so so we're all in this holiday <laughs> inn and it's nothing but the local hustlers boys, yeah. in the hotel with us so imagine you have one side of a hall and all the rooms are connected so it's my room here tasha who sings only you here tap money here you know everybody and all of and how we usually do it tour bus leaves at six in the morning if you miss the bus you left mm -hmm. and so flavor flavor somebody will always be on our bus because they would always miss but we have these connecting rooms and so at some point, all of us could be in one room and the other four rooms could be empty. So I'm in my room packing. Tasha's in one of the rooms. She comes back to my room. She goes back to her room and she starts crying. What's happening? I bought this brand new Louis Vuitton bag and my shit is gone. I'm like, how, who, who could have gotten into your room? But basically, somebody went into one room gotten, and started robbing rooms. <laughs> so the hotel manager brings her license up. They found the bag and the license on the ground in the lobby. Mm -hmm. So they bring it back up. She puts the bag away, goes like a dumbass, goes into another room. They come back into her room, steal the bag again. Oh, shit. <laughs> so we're like, all right, we got to find this bag. She's hysterical. Her mother gave her this bag, blah, blah, blah. So we start knocking on every door. Mind you, there was a guy that would come knocking on the way, man, where the party at, man, where the party at? So he was the scout. You know, nobody's paying mm -hmm. attention. So we're knocking on the doors and we open one door and I see the, the scout dude. And I'm like, yo, man, you was in my room? And so little me, I'm popping shit. He don't know that I got like 20 dudes in the hallway <laughs> behind me. So I bust open the door and her bag is hanging on the... um. On the door, on the side door. So I said, you got my shit? You, you came in my room? You violated them? I'm doing all this New York shit. He's like, man, you better back up. I said, if anybody comes to me, I'm going to punch him in the face. So one guy comes up, boop, knock him. And then all I hear, they had a suite. All I hear is, I, there you go. <laughs> I kid you not, like seven dudes came out of this back bedroom <coughs> with guns. But this is the, the click. 
Speedos on. Wait, what? <laughs> Speedos. Cowboy boots. Oh, God. And a cowboy hat. And sub automatic machine gun. Oh. All mill review or something? Yeah, I'm like, you got to get robbed by chicken. I was like, what? Yo. Milwaukee, baby. You ever Milwaukee. see, you ever see that, that gif where, where Homer Simpson just backs away? Into yeah, the yeah. The <laughs> The, the Irish exit. Yo, I was like, Oh, man. <laughs> but it was things like that that would always, besides the girl, it was like so many weird girl stories. Like, girls with, it'll be like pulling up and doing a, 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 a in-store when there were record stores to do in-stores at. And you do the in-store and there's like little kids being in, little girls are being in. And, um, and then like two hours later, you get a knock on the door and it's, grown woman to show up to the to the room in this nice dress she's like yeah i found out you were here and i'm gonna and then you know you're like 17 you're ready to get in and and then she goes you know you don't remember me i was the girl you met at the in-store the 12 year old she's like uh, wait what uh, it was like a whole lot yeah, of that. and it was then, like sure. and, and and it was like yeah i stole my mom's she worked nights and she don't know i took her dress blah 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 uh, like look we gotta get you home you know and stay you know and rage. it was like <laughs> it was so crazy it was <laughs> and and it started to be known that these young girls were doing it or it would and i don't know it might happen still like this today but it'll no. be things no. where girls are being in the room and you hear husbands just knocking on every door, crying, where's my Where's wife? my girl? I got to where's fight every night to prove my love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or it'll be things like, um, and this was the crazy thing. Whole moms would bring their daughters and like, because the mom wanted to meet, say, LL, the daughter wanted to meet me. So the mom would be like, I'm going to just leave her here in the room with you. I'm going to oh, go God. meet LL. <laughs> you know, it was stuff like that. Or the mom wanted to meet Albie Shaw, or Bobby Brown, or Keith Sweat. Oh, God. That's Train it. up a hole in the yeah. way it should go. Yo, fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, then, and then the worst, then the craziest thing, you know, because back then, music literally at, at this point, before 90, I say pre-92, music was just, hot music was hot music, and anybody went on tour with anybody. You would have the whole sheriff's department. They know somebody was in town. The whole sheriff's department would show up at the hotel, knock on every door, and check ID. And what? there's been many, especially roadies, many roadies arrested for suspicion of statutory rape because they would have a girl in the room. The girl would be 14. The roadie would be 20-something. They would check ID. The girl wouldn't have any ID, so the girl would have to call the parents. The parents was super heated at the fact that this random guy from Bushwick or whatever is with their daughter. You know, it was crazy stuff like that. You know, you know, nobody was smart in, in any such sense of the word. It was just like... It's like P. Bobby Brown. Pre-Bobby Brown. No, this is... Oh, right? Pre-Bobby Brown. This is current Bobby. This is Bobby Brown in his... Bobby Brown was... This, this was during the same time. This was all at okay. the same time. I feel like during that period, that's when it shut, shut down. Like ninety in the mid nineties, well, that's yeah, when yeah, it got yeah, shut. Yeah. Between really Bobby Brown and and Our, Luke, Luke kind of oh, shut yeah. it. I feel down. like the arrival of Death Row Luke. really, yeah, killed. the ID yeah. thing. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but, but to to though. your question about um, what? Yeah, I know, I know What's women. Saying? I know so women who that wasn't. I mean, you know, it was, but, but see, the thing is, it wasn't. 
we look at it as a certain way now. Mm-hmm. But I think back then, it was just, I want to liken it to Woodstock. You know how everybody wild out in Woodstock? Yeah. And no one put, you know, like there was sex on the lawn and in the mud and all that. Mm-hmm. But nobody said, oh, that was a hoe doing it. You know, nobody did that. It was just like people doing sex and drugs. So in the 80s, I would say, I'm, I would think from Melly Mel's time all the way up to say 91, 92, there was no definition of it. It was just kids gone wild. It was literally that. Because then after that, then the label started, then Freak Nick started to come, and then mm-hmm. and then all the this Greek, other, yeah. all this crazy stuff. Then things start. It started to have an ugly face to a lot mm-hmm. of things that were going on. But I think to answer your question, when I think the end of I would say an era, a golden era, I would say, um, with Death Row, with with NWA, honestly, with um, the beginning of bad boy with with that it started to put things in boxes yeah and rappers we definitely all wore our costumes at the time but now there were designated costumes that you had to wear if you were from the east coast you had to look like this and you had to rap like this if you were from the west coast you had to look and rap like this and mtv came into full stream like every neighborhood started to have that cable now and your MTV raps was now really at its height and that was the imagery that was pushed across the world so that's why a lot of people think rap starts with Tupac and Biggie because that at that point is where it turned into a corporate hydra and 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 I don't think people understood what they were falling into because it was now now there was money you know think yeah, about like it I got a Sprite commercial yeah you understand what a top artist gets on tour right Quest yeah so the top the top pay for somebody in 1989 1990 was maybe I remember Salt and Pepper was getting 22,000 um, a show a show okay. you know and that was like oh shit 20,000 but in 1989 that was major yeah no that sounds you know, great no um, that's why I was listening like, MC Hammer was probably the top mm-hmm. um and he was at 23 to 25 wow. that's crazy a good a good rapper like if you're really popping you had like a, maybe a, a gold out because like selling gold is now the equivalent of like two times platinum right yeah. so if you had a gold to platinum album you can probably get 12 to fifteen thousand. was carol lewis your agent no or idol makers right well no no icm mark mark um okay Mark at ICM was um was my agent at the okay. time, but we you know there were several agencies that we would just bounce from you know there was all these weird little agencies and um but you know so the money wasn't you know the hottest you know I was pushing a Volkswagen you know that was like the the hottest whip you know and you know only person that had like a super ill car besides Herbie Eric B for some some reason. Eric B. <laughs> pulled out a Rolls Royce one day and everybody was like, how the I hell? you get a Rolls Royce? Right how now. the hell? It was an old one, but it was like, <laughs> how did you get that? Oh, I think we know. You know. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> to no one's surprise. No, no, no. You would be surprised. No. Nah. Um, and um, I think that, um, I think that, that 
the 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 glow of 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 hip hop and being a rapper and being in hip hop at the time was a full body experience. So people just acted that way. Then once ninety two ninety three came along, mm-hmm. and you you started following the the mega trends it just it just turned it turned everything into a big money game people made a lot of money ladies and gentlemen i hate to do this to you but you're gonna have to wait for part two uh with our interview with kwame on quest love supreme in which he gets into it about uh the biggie situation and producing for a lot of hip-hop notables uh, so we'll see you on the next go round of Quest Love Supreme, only on Pandora. Sorry. See you. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes, Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.